Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. There is literally nothing in this life that's more important than taking Jesus at his word. In our culture today, we often hear countless words that amount to nothing. Is the word of God, the Bible, the backbone of your life? Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 4 and look at the incredible, powerful, overwhelming word of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's Monday morning here in Texas. Hopefully y'all are doing well and uh, just just growing to know Jesus. Uh, Our lives and the focus of our lives need to increasingly be more and more and more about Jesus in, in every way. More about spending time with him, more about growing in our relationship with him, uh, more about obeying him and his word, the Bible, in, in every aspect of our lives, and, and really more about repenting when we fall short of that. Um, in the church today, we don't hear as much about repentance, but repentance is one of the greatest tools in our toolbox, in our spiritual toolbox that we examine ourselves and we, you know, we can see areas of our life where where we're just not Christ focused, where our heart is not about Jesus, where our interest is not really as much in Jesus and his kingdom as, as it ought to be. And in those areas, you go to him and you repent and you ask him and you say, Lord Jesus, I do ask you to forgive me and and help me to live a more Christ-centered life in in everything that I do. Um, And in that, it really helps build your relationship with, with every member of the Trinity. Repentance will help you and help me grow in relationship with God the Father. It'll help me grow in relationship with God the Son, Jesus Christ. And it will certainly help me to grow in relationship with God the Holy Spirit. Um, We have a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're individual beings. It's not one being expressing himself in three ways. They're, They're individual beings, the scripture lays out. And in everything, every interaction we have with the triune God can come only in and through Jesus Christ. And so that's why we talk about the fact that in everything we do, we want to be living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus, Melanie, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Today, thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to finish up uh, John chapter four. We'll have, uh, I don't know how many teachings it'll be, but I think it's got to be around 32 teachings or something uh, from uh, the first four chapters. So we'll have taught through every verse in John chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four. Today we're doing verses 43 to 54, 43 to 54. 
So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we will we'll read the scripture and we will get rolling. Lord Jesus, we worship you, we thank you, and we praise you. We thank you for the living word of God. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you for the holy scriptures, Father. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us and living a perfect life for us and dying a perfect death for us on the cross. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are indeed alive and risen today. We worship you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the scriptures, the living word of God. We ask for eyes that see and ears that hear. Convict our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. John 4, verses 43 to 54. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there, were, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. Man, this is, uh, this is powerful. All right. Verse 43 says, after the two days he left for Galilee. The two days were the days he stayed in Samaria and where he ministered in uh, Samaria and where he, he spoke the word of God. Every word he spoke was the word of God because Jesus is God. And it said that the Samaritans came to believe that Jesus really is the savior of the world, the whole world, the savior of every single person, right? And so when it says after the two days, it was the two days he, he was in Samaria and we spoke ex extensively about that and the incredible lessons we learned from Jesus um, with the Samaritan woman at the well. So it says he left for Galilee. Now it's interesting. Look what it says. Now Jesus himself had pointed out 
that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So why does he keep going there? Right? You, you would think that he would be going to places where they they honored him. You think he would continually go to places where he would get the most honor. And, and let's think about that, right? Because that's that's not what Jesus does. Why go to a place where all you get is back talk, resistance, consistently people not honoring you, often not believing in you, giving you a hard time because he obviously grew up there. So they had a certain familiarity with him, right? They had a certain familiarity. You know, we are all, we all have families. We all have friends. We all have hometowns. And, and people have a certain familiarity with you in your hometown, Scott. Often when you grew up there, you know, they're like, you know, man, we knew you when you grew up and this and that. And actually Jesus went through that as well. So you would have thought he'd avoided that. You, you would have thought that he only would go to places where he would be honored. But obviously it's a beautiful lesson to us that even though he gets very little honor oftentimes in his hometown, he still goes there. He still goes there. He still ministers there. Uh, his, his home base was there. So it says, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Sometimes we, we all can get a little familiar with Jesus as Christians. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Master. He's our King. He's our friend. But if you and I don't have a, a growing and increasing worship and love and devotion and dedication to Jesus, then we have gotten a little bit familiar with him. How much honor do you pay to Jesus on a moment by moment, day by day basis? How much do you honor him? How much do you hold him in high esteem? How much do you do all things unto Christ? Jesus Christ gave his life for us. He died in our place. He was punished in our place. And when you trust in Jesus, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, acknowledging your hopelessness, your helplessness, and your desperation for Jesus, knowing he's your only hope and you you run to him and call out to him, as Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call out and you pray and say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you are the Son of God. And I believe you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you are indeed alive and risen. And Lord Jesus, I humbly ask you now to come into my heart. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all of my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian, right? A Christian is someone who's trusting in Jesus Christ, relying on Jesus Christ, 
clinging to Jesus Christ as their only hope for salvation. Now, when you do that, Jesus Christ comes and lives inside of you. I believe it's Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, he, he lives inside of you and he's one with you. You belong to him. You're one with him in spirit. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus lives inside of you. He's one with you. He's one with you in spirit. And he goes with you everywhere you go. All the days for all eternity. Not only in this life, but the next. And so you want to look at your life and just look at the areas. All of us have these areas where we've gotten a little bit familiar and we're not showing Jesus the honor that is due him. And everything we do, we can honor Jesus or not. We can do it unto Jesus. We can do our work unto Jesus or not, right? We can love people unto Jesus, love them as Christ loved them or not. So we don't want to be those, and as I said, all of us do this, where, where we don't give the honor to Jesus that's really due him which is the honor that he is our savior, our king, our master, our God. We're called the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And as such, Jesus Christ uh, is deserving of our constant and consistent honor to him in everything we say and in everything we do. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. You remember at uh, the end of chapter 2, where Jesus had, had done all the miracles. Verse 23 in chapter 2, it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, and we just referenced that in chapter 4, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. So that was John 2, 23. Now we're back in chapter 4. And it says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. So, you know, often the entire town, generally the entire town would go up for the Passover feast every year. And Jesus was there uh, as well. And so it's interesting that verse 45 tells us that all the miraculous signs that he was doing that we saw in John 2, 23, the people from his hometown, they were there and they saw him doing these miraculous signs. And, and so they welcomed him, but they were welcoming, they were welcoming him not as much for who he was as the savior of the world, as the Messiah, as the Christ, they were welcoming him because more so because they were fascinated with the incredible power and the, and the miraculous signs that he was doing. And this can be a, uh, a paramount issue in the church today. This can really be a serious issue in the church, and it is, frankly that oftentimes we can be more attracted to the outward manifestations of Jesus than Jesus Christ himself and our knowing our desperate need of him, our loving him 
knowing that he died for our sins and gave his life on our behalf, was tortured on our behalf, and that only in Jesus Christ can we have our sins forgiven. Only in Jesus Christ can we have spiritual life and relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's only in Jesus Christ that that we can ultimately go to heaven. And sometimes we can be attracted more to the miraculous and often have been than we are to Jesus himself. And so you want to ask yourself today, are you excited about having a vibrant, growing, and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing him as your Lord and Savior, knowing him as the one who died for you and gave his life for you and has risen from the dead and that was punished from you so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have spiritual life and so that you could ultimately come into relationship with God the Father as your heavenly Father, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit as your guide and counselor and comforter, and so that you could ultimately go to heaven when you die. Are you pursuing Jesus for your for the intimacy and the growing relationship with him? Because if you are, then all the miraculous that Jesus does, all the healings that Jesus does, all the wonderful blessings that come from Jesus, those are great. We want those, but they ought not be the foundation of our faith. They ought not be why we're following Christ. They ought to be, you know, icing on the cake, that we love it. We want all that Jesus has for us, but the foundation of your relationship with Jesus Christ ought to be knowing him, having a personal relationship with him, clinging to him, desperate to know him better, having received him and and trusting him as your only Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Verse 46, once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. That was the first miracle, John says, and by the time we, we finish these verses, you're going to have seen the second miracle. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, Capernaum to Cana is around 20 miles. Okay, So it's about a 20-mile distance. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And notice the word royal, okay? This man is royalty. It says he had servants, because you remember down in chapter uh, 1, in verse 51, it says while he was still on the way, his servants met him. So this man is royalty. What do you think of when you think royalty today, right? You think you think the highest levels of of society, right? As Americans, we we generally think of the the British royalty, right? The queen, right? Royalty. It 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 it's it's like it's uh again, it's the highest level of human society is is what in our minds we know royalty to be. And, you know, 
in this world, no one ever accused me of being royalty, <laughs> okay? Um, and very few of us, very few, right? <laughs> one in a hundred million, right? I don't know what it is, but this man is royalty. But it doesn't matter whether you're at the lowest rung of society. You could be the poorest of all people, or you could be royalty at the highest rung of society. When you've got a problem you can't handle, when you got a sick child, you, you really have nowhere to go except Jesus. And really, it's not just the sick child. Ultimately, regrettably, when we have a problem, we try everything else first and then we go to Jesus as a last resort. And he's merciful and he allows us to come to him. But Jesus ought to be our, our first priority. Ultimately, every problem we have can be solved in Jesus. It may not always get the, the answer we desire, certainly in the timing we desire. But it's important to note that this man is royalty. But when you have a sick child, it doesn't matter where you are. Okay? It doesn't matter where you are on the, on the social status. You're desperate. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived, again, Jesus has gotten a little commonplace, May, in our, in our church culture. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived, we, 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 want to, we want to have a certain disposition, Scott, about Jesus. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived, nobody else can be put in that sentence. No one else in history, ever. When this, heard, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived, we, 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 want, to, we, we want to just hear that and understand that Jesus is within 20 miles of this man. And this, and this royal official, undoubtedly not Jewish, right? Very probably Gentile. Remember, two, two types of people in the Bible, Jews and Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're not of Jewish descent, then you're Gentile. That's the rest of us. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived, he went on a 20-mile journey. His son is close to death. I'd imagine he was desperate to get to Jesus because he wanted his son to have life. Are we desperate for Jesus? If you don't know him as your Savior today, you need to be desperate and run to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, knowing he is your only hope. You are hopeless, helpless. I am hopeless, helpless, desperate. Nothing we can do, nothing I do can help save me, only trusting and relying on what Jesus Christ did in my place and on my behalf at the cross of Christ. And by believing in him and giving my life to him, and asking him to be the Lord of my life, 
humbly asking him to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life and save me from my sin. That's the only way I could be granted life. It's the only way anyone in the world could be granted life. And Jesus is there. He's waiting on you today. Give your life to Jesus. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him. It's been my experience that royalty oftentimes is not very good at begging, right? Normally, the higher we are in society, the harder it is for us to humble ourselves. Except when you have a sick child, right? When you have a sick child, you'll beg whether, again, you're the highest in society or the lowest. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now, it's interesting. Again, the man is not going to Jesus to receive him as Savior. So you see, again, obviously we understand, and all of us would do this, but the man's not going to Jesus Christ to know him as Lord, to know him as Savior, to receive him as the Messiah, to believe in him as his only hope for the forgiveness of his sins and the salvation of his soul. The man has an ulterior motive. The man wants the healing of his son. Every one of us would want that. Every one of us would want to see Jesus move in this way. But Jesus knows this. And it's interesting how Jesus responds here because we just got through doing the, the whole teaching of the woman at the well, the five, five teachings of the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus is very understanding of her. He responds to her in very loving ways. He even confronts her of her sin in a very loving way. He's, he's very tempered and he's patient. The woman at the well was the lowest of society. The royalty, this royal official is the highest of society. It's interesting that Jesus shows immensely more patient, patience and understanding when dealing with the woman at the well. And he's a little more curt and a little more forceful with the royal official. Shouldn't it be the other way? Don't we talk normally to rich, powerful people, quote unquote, in much nicer ways than we do the people at the, the lowest end of the spectrum, on the, the lowest rung of the ladder? Generally and regrettably, the more status a person has, the more respect they get. And we have this problem in the church as well. It's, it's, it's terrible. James tells us not to do it. You know, if a person comes into your meeting and he's wearing fine clothes, don't, don't favor them. I believe it's the beginning of James 2. You know, don't, don't show greater honor and respect. It's almost a natural thing in us. It's an ungodly thing. But we almost naturally gravitate to people of fame and power and money 
and will generally show them higher honor and respect. It's wrong. Jesus clearly doesn't do it. Jesus goes the opposite way. Now, we're not saying you should go out and just the higher status someone has, you shouldn't be disrespectful. The point is, you shouldn't treat people any differently based on their social status, their financial status, or their notoriety, so to speak, their fame. Jesus here is more curt with the royal official, and he's clearly more understanding and patient with the woman. And so that's interesting to note. We're not told why that is. Um, perhaps he understands that very clearly that the royal official has been given every advantage in life and the woman at the well has, has not. She's been used up by five men. She's a Samaritan. Jews can't stand her. Everybody looks down on her. Jesus knows exactly who we are. By the way, Jesus knows the man is royalty. Look what he says to him. It says that he went to Jesus and begged him. He begged him, he pleaded with Jesus to come heal his son. Again, all of us would do the same. Verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. So once again, he, he, he does not give the man the answer he wants. The man does want a miracle from Jesus. Um, but we understand it. The man in his heart just wants his son to be well. It's not that he's chasing miracles. But the truth is, he is asking for Jesus to do a miracle, and that is his bigger, bigger concern than knowing Jesus himself. And believe it or not, it is far more important that you know Jesus and that your family know Jesus and that your children know Jesus than Jesus do a miraculous healing. It was literally more important that this man's family come to faith in Jesus Christ then this son be made physically well. And that's just a hard word. And, I, and, I'm, and you know, that's just not something I, I often do well, Rap. You know, it's just, it's more important that this man and his family come to genuine faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Savior than it is for Jesus Christ to heal his son or do a miracle in his life. And so Jesus is hard, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders. So he's obviously not talking about this man. He's talking about a whole group of people, masses of people that are only interested in Jesus, not to know him, not to have relationship with him, not to know him as their savior and Messiah and God and to worship him and love him and follow him and obey him. But just to, to be, to, you know, to be fascinated with signs and wonders. And where are we today? Where are you today? Where are we as a church? Do you have a deep and intimate and growing desire to walk with Jesus Christ and know him in every aspect of your life, beginning as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins and then growing into deep and meaningful relationship with him where you grow to know him and obey him more and more and more all the days of your life? Or do you just, just like to, to play around in the whole Christian circle? If you do just like to, if, if you see that your relationship or your desire for Jesus is not a vibrant, meaningful relationship, then you do want to repent and you want to go to him and ask him, Lord Jesus, I, I do ask you to forgive me and help me to live my life, Lord, more and more in a growing and intimate 
an obedient relationship with you, Jesus. Mm. Verse 49, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. We understand. The man is basically saying, it's not that I, I want some miracle. I just don't want my son to die. We get it, right? Come down. The man is posturing himself right. He has begged Jesus and he begs him again. Nothing better you can do than keep pleading and begging with Jesus. Keep going to Jesus. Keep pressing into Jesus. This is an important moment in this man's life because he could, he could have turned away and said, I'm sorry. But no. Again, when we're desperate, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Hmm. Look at verse 50. Now, it's interesting. When he says, come down, he tells Jesus, you know, come the 20 or so miles. Right. That's kind of a trek on foot. Right. It's a full day's walk. It's a, uh, you know. Again, it's an entire day, whatever that is, you know, at, uh, at 20 minute miles, you know, that's, you know, three miles an hour. If, and then if you stop for a break, it's a good eight, nine, 10 hour walk. Look at Jesus says in verse 50, Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. What is that? Seven words. You may go. Your son will live. We, we, we don't know who we're dealing with here. Oftentimes, Becky, we don't realize who we're really dealing with. The man wants him to come down to his house, pray over him, lay hands on him, you know, do the deal. We get it, right? We get it. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. I, I guess Jesus didn't want to walk to 20 miles. I guess Jesus doesn't have to go to 20 miles. How did he do this? Jesus never met this boy. Jesus don't know where the man's house is, right? I mean, he ain't been to this guy's house, right? See where we're getting at here? Jesus does know who the boy is, even though we've never met him in this life. He does know where the boy lives and lies and is laying down sick. He does know where the royal official's house is because he's God. Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. Jesus, Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. Jesus didn't have to go to the man's house to heal the boy. We see a lot of miracles where Jesus does do it on the scene. Here, Jesus does it for 20 miles away. How he did it, we're not told. Clearly, he willed it, and it happened. What does that mean? He, he thought the boy is well, and the boy is well. <laughs> 20 miles away. 
You may go, your son will live. And immediately, the boy is made well. Look at this. And here's probably the most important principle in the entire teaching. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man took Jesus at his word. There's literally nothing more important in your life and mine than to take Jesus at his word in everything. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You begin at salvation. You begin by receiving Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, taking Jesus at his word, knowing you have no hope of eternal life, no hope of heaven, no hope of the forgiveness of sins except in and through Jesus Christ. He said it of his own mouth. The man took Jesus at his word. And then, as a Christian who is trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone, Do you take Jesus at his word moment by moment, day by day? Are you spending time in his word, in the living word of God? Are you spending time in the scriptures, reading the scriptures, studying them, meditating on them, that you might take Jesus at his word and obey him? The man took Jesus at his word. There's nothing more important than you can do. We get a lot of words from a lot of people that are a lot of nonsense. The most important word that you can ever know, the most important words in your life are the words of Jesus Christ. The words in your Bible, which are the word of the living God. Jesus Christ is indeed God. Do you have a lifestyle of taking Jesus at his word? Do you have a lifestyle of reading and studying the word of God? Do you study the gospels that you might know the words of Jesus, that you might be like this royal official? It's the most important thing he's ever done in his life is he took Jesus at his word. Again, have you taken Jesus at his word and received him as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Are you, are you desperately clinging to him and trusting in him and relying on him as your only Lord and Savior to bring you to heaven when you die? Do you have a lifestyle of living in Jesus and studying his word and honoring his word and living according to his word and repenting when you fall short? Help us, Lord Jesus. The man took Jesus at his word and departed while he was still on the way. His servants met him with the news that his boy was living, verse 51, while he was still on the way. The man doesn't even get home. He heads home, and while he's on his way, the people from his house, his servants meet him with the incredible blessing that his son was living. If we will take Jesus at his word, we will see the power of Jesus and the love of Jesus. And we will see intimate and growing relationship with Jesus if you'll take him at his word. And yes, you'll even see things happen that you won't be able to explain. There are millions of different miracles. When Jesus reveals himself to you in his word, that's a miracle. And you very well may see a physical manifestation of a miracle. 
but relationship with Jesus Christ in general is miraculous. We need to take Jesus at his word and walk in his word. The man doesn't even get home, but the good news comes to him. His servants met him with the news that his boy was living when he inquired as to the time when his son got better. Okay, so now the man is happy that his son is better, but he wants to go deeper. Now he's wanting to go deeper in Jesus. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. They tell him exactly. Then the father realized that this was the exact time. Look how powerful that is, that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. At the exact time Jesus said it, the boy is well because Jesus gave his word. Do you know that the word of God created the universe, right? Genesis one, God said, let there be light. God said, and there was light. Jesus said, your son will live. He's healed. There is so much power in the word of God. And it's why we need to be in our Bible, Peyton. It's why we spend time in the living word of God. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus, at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. And look what it says. So, so he and all his household believed. The father started out with wanting a miracle. But by the mercy of Christ, he came to true, genuine belief and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Not just he. He apparently went and told everybody what Jesus had done. Because he's the only one that it says heard what Jesus said. So he and all his household believed. We see that he saves an entire town of Samaria when he went through Samaria. And here we see that Jesus brought salvation to the house of, a, of royalty. Jesus isn't prejudice against any of us. He wants all of us to believe, regardless of our social status, regardless of our economic status. This was the second miraculous sign, verse 54 that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. It's interesting. Both of the first two miracles are done at Cana. In Cana, he had changed the water to wine. And in Cana, he healed this royal official's son. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the living word of God. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, just for all your mercy and favor and goodness and love in our lives. Jesus, we proclaim you the savior of the world, our Lord and savior and master and king and our God. Jesus, you are our all in all, our alpha and our omega, our beginning and our end, our first and our last. Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you just, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. Lord, help us 
Help all those who don't know you to give their lives to you this day. And for those that do know you, Lord, help us to to make you a bigger priority, to honor you more. Lord, help us to take you at your word and to spend time in the living word of God that we may love and know you and obey you more and more and more. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Go ahead of us this day, we pray. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.